Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge. Let the church say amen. Can we give the Lord a great uh, hand clap of praise? That praise and worship is awesome. Thank you, Jason. Amen. Well, it is great to be here. I'm so excited to be here. It's been some time since I've uh, been with you. I'm grateful uh, to Pastor Scott, who's a dear brother, dear pastor, dear friend. And I'm always grateful for his generosity in allowing me to come to worship uh, with you and uh, to have this opportunity as well just to share God's Word. And so I'm grateful to my brother and your pastor and love he and his family so much. To Pastor Dave, thank you so much, brother. Uh, as well, just for your hospitality and just taking good care of us this morning as we've come. Um, when I, it's, it's been a while, like I said, and I think the last time I came, you guys were meeting at the school, which is, I think, right around the corner. Yeah, and so I grew up right around the corner from here. My wife and I both grew up on Ray Road, so go down Strickland, take a ride on Ray, and literally go a half a mile. And my mom and Kim's mom still live on Ray Road, and so um, drove past my mom and my mother-in-law's house this morning to get here, and, uh, and this is my first time being on the campus, and when I walked in the building inside, I just kind of went, wow. I even said it backwards, wow, this is awesome. I was tempted to say it upside down, mom, you know, but uh, what, what, we just praise God for what he's doing in the life of this church and how he's blessed you guys, and, and just to be here on this campus to continue to do that which he's called you to do as a local body um, of believers. And I'm just thrilled uh, what God is doing here and, uh, and just thrilled to be here uh, with you today. My wife is here with me at this service. She was not able uh, to make it to the eight o'clock, but I'm so glad to have her as well uh, being, being here with me today. And uh, she's my best friend and, uh, and I love her. And she's put up with me now for uh, approaching 30 years. And so I'm grateful to God's grace to me through my lovely wife, uh, Kim. And so uh, let's jump in uh, th- this morning, Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two. And uh, I recently met uh, someone through a mutual friend who's from Istanbul, Turkey. She's a dear lady. She's an older lady. She's about 77 years old. And, um, and uh, she is an honorable lady, a, a, a beautiful woman. Uh, she has, she's very dignified, I mean. And, uh, and so I, I met her uh, through, through a mutual friend and just began to engage her. She's trying to sell her house. In fact, her house just sold, actually. And so I went over just to kind of help her as she was trying to sell her house. And one of the things she needed to do was she had so much debris from like storms and just the season of trees falling, leaves falling, that kind of stuff on top of her roof. And so I went over, took my ladder, had my little blower, blew off her roof because one of the things that she needed to do as she prepared to sell the house was to clean off her roof. There were a couple other things as well that I did. Uh, She called me back. Um, maybe a week and a half later and wanted to know if I could help her do a few other things. So I said, absolutely, I'll come over. I went over and there was some painting, some caulking, some filling holes on her wall. Because again, she's trying to prepare uh, her home for, uh, to be sold. And uh, as I was leaving that day, she said, Peter, and she speaks kind of with this Turkish accent. She says, Peter, Peter, and um, would you straighten up my real estate sign? And so she had a real estate sign in her yard for sale. The real estate agent's information was on the sign, but the sign was kind of leaning like this. And so she wanted to know if I would just straighten it up for her. And I said, absolutely. And I, I straightened it up. I had a hammer. I knocked it in the ground a little bit more. And she said, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And she was so grateful. And then she says, maybe Maybe it'll give me good fortune to sell my house. And I said, well, I hope that you will sell your house. And hey, if there's anything else I can do to help you, let, let me know. She calls me literally or texts me two days later. And she says, Peter, Peter, you will never guess my house sold, my house sold. You did bring me good fortune when you straightened up my sign. And so I responded back to her and I said, well, I'm not sure if I brought you good fortune, but I rejoice that you 
has sold your home. Recently, she called me uh, and did, she did ask if I could come help her uh, pack. She has a daughter, but her daughter's not really involved in helping her move. And uh, she wanted to know if I could help her, particularly with some things that she's just not able to pack herself. And so my schedule's a little bit tight, but I said, you know, on this Friday, I think I can um, help you. I have maybe three hours that I could come by and give you a hand. And so I agreed to go by. She was thankful uh, for me willing to come by. And I went by and helped her with those things that she just is not able to pack uh, by herself. And I thought this going to her house, her name is Sejin. I thought this and I thought, you know, I'm going to be with her three hours. I've, I've, I've already spent probably another four or five hours with her, just kind of helping her do some other things. I said, Lord, I probably should not spend this kind of time with her without sharing the gospel. I mean, I don't believe you want me just to help her. Uh, Yes, she has a need, she needs to move, but I I believe it's greater than just helping her move. And Lord, would you give me the opportunity to share the gospel? That was my prayer going in to see her uh, this past Friday, as a matter of fact. And so I'm looking for an opportunity. Let me tell you something, if you pray, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel, get ready. Don't pray that prayer unless you are really, really serious about sharing the gospel. And so uh, I'm there, I'm there for 45 minutes and she starts talking about politics. I don't care much about politics because I don't think uh, politics are our greatest need. Yeah, and I don't think politics are the answer. But I talked to her about politics for a few minutes and I listen and ask a few questions here and there, but we talk politics first. And then she gets to religion. She wants to talk about religion. I'm like, okay, maybe God's opened up the door. And then she begins to share, share with me kind of her philosophy on life and, 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 and she proceeds to talk to me about man's greatest problem. Man's greatest problem. And she says, Peter, man's greatest problem thousands of years ago is different than man's greatest problem today. Problems change, problems evolve, and man's problems thousands of years ago are different than man's problems today. And then she said, man's problems today will be different than man's problems thousands of years into the future. Problems evolve, situations change, and therefore no religion can actually speak Uh, by itself to man's needs. And then she proceeded to say, we ought to just kind of be unified and all the religions ought to come together and and pick and choose from those religions, those good pieces and kind of put them together in order to meet man's greatest needs. And so I was polite and and I was very humble and I said, well, here's just my my, uh, thought and my opinion. I believe man's greatest need and man's greatest problem really is the same. Thousands of years ago, today, the same. If we're still here thousands of years into the future, the problem will be the the same. And the problem is simply this, sin. Sin is our greatest problem. We're all fallen. We're all broken. We all have this issue um, as humans, and the issue is sin. The issue is sin. And I mentioned that, and then she wants to change the conversation, which is fine. And I said, I hope we'll have an opportunity to talk about that sometime. And she said, I would love to, and maybe we can. And then we begin to pack the boxes that I was helping her pack. But man's greatest need is sin. And unless someone is a sociopath with no conscience, then all of us have probably asked this, these two questions. The first question is, is this. Can my sins be forgiven? Can my sins be forgiven? And then the second question I think we've all asked, unless we just have no conscience, who is the one that can forgive my sins? Can my sins be forgiven and who can forgive my sins? And I'm so glad we have Mark chapter 2 because Mark basically answers both of these questions. Uh, He first of all will let us know, yes, our sins can be forgiven. And then Mark will secondly let us know that Jesus, the Son of God, is the one who has the power to forgive our sins. Mark chapter 2. Follow along with me in your Bibles there in Mark. And listen to what he says as he records this narrative. He says, and when he returned to Capernaum, talking about Jesus, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. 
and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thus that they thus questioned within themselves and said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he arose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus, the Son of God, has power to forgive sins. We'll see three groups of characters here, or three character groups here. Uh, First, let me give them to you. We'll see the paralyzed man. We'll see the paralyzed man in verses one through three. Second, we'll see the persistent men. We'll see some men in the narrative that are persistent, and they they are doing all they can to get their friend to Jesus. We'll see that in verses three through five. And then we'll see a Messiah who has all power Uh, And and we'll see that in verses 6 through verse 12. As we consider this idea that Jesus, the Son of God, has power on earth to forgive sins. Now, Mark chapter 1 really lays the foundation for Mark chapter 2. When you go back to Mark chapter 1, we see John the Baptist is on the scene. Um, He comes preparing the way for the Lord. Uh, We see that John the Baptist baptizes Jesus um, in the Jordan. After that, Jesus is led into the the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights, and he comes out of that victorious uh, because he is the Son of God. And then you see Jesus beginning his, his public ministry in Galilee. And Jesus did two things. The first thing he did as he began his public ministry was to preach the message of the gospel. And we get that in verses 14 and 15 because Jesus there is proclaiming the gospel of God and he's saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is at hand, and then he calls people to repent and to believe. And so Jesus comes preaching the message of the gospel. But then Jesus also with the message he begins to perform the miracles of the gospel. And the two kind of go hand in hand. He's preaching the message of the gospel, but he's also performing the miracles of the gospel. And so when you continue through Mark uh, chapter 1, he calls his disciples. Uh, he calls Peter and Andrew, James and John. They were fishermen. They begin to follow him. And then he begins to heal people who have various issues in their life. So for example, he heals a man who is demon-possessed in Mark chapter 1 verses 21, really through about verse 28. He heals other people as well. For example, he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She's sick. She has a fever. Uh, Jesus finds out about it. Jesus goes. He touches her. He heals her. The fever immediately leaves her, and she begins to serve and wait on Jesus and the disciples. Jesus healed her immediately. And then as you keep reading the Gospel of Mark, uh, he's preaching again. And then there's a leper at the end of Mark chapter 1. And this leper has leprosy. Jesus has pity on him. Jesus has compassion on him. Jesus cleanses him of his leprosy. And then this is what Jesus says. Now look, I want you to go. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. But I want you to go instead. And I want you to offer yourself Uh, to the priest as Moses commanded 
us to do in the Old Testament. Don't tell anybody, but just go, offer yourselves to the priest as Moses commanded. And he went out and did just the opposite. He went out and just told everybody. And see, by this time, Jesus has become like a rock star. Jesus can't go anywhere without drawing a crowd. I mean, Jesus is this huge celebrity. His popularity is way up here because he's preaching the message of the gospel, but he's also performing the miracles of the gospel. And to be honest, people came pr probably more than the message, they came to see the miracles. They came to see this, this Jesus. Yes, he's a great speaker. He's a powerful speaker, but man, he does some powerful miracles. And oftentimes, they would come for the miracles. And it got to the point he was so popular, he couldn't even do ministry. And at the end of Mark chapter 1, it says that Jesus withdrew himself. And he went to the remote places, the desolate places to do ministry. And guess what? People followed him out there. People followed Jesus wherever he went. His popularity is huge. And then you get to Mark chapter 2. And look at what happens, you all. He returns to Capernaum. Capernaum was this, this town in Galilee that we believe was Jesus' headquarters. This was where he did his ministry from, Capernaum. This was his campus, so to speak. And not too many days being there, verse 1 says it was reported that he had come home. Now listen, I'm old school a little bit. I read the King James Version of the Bible too. The King James Version says it like this, y'all, Jesus was in the house. I mean, I just love that. Jesus was in the house. And you know when Jesus is in the house, something's about to happen, you all. I mean, Jesus is at home. He's in the house. He had to step away because his popularity is so great, he really couldn't do ministry like he wanted to. He steps away, but then he slides back in to town. He's back home, he's in the house, and everybody finds out. News travels fast. And they're like, hey, Jesus is here. Jesus is at home. Jesus is in the house. Let's go see him. And that's what happens in verse 1. And look at verse 2. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. I mean, people gathered right away, you all. They, they, they were there as soon as Jesus came back into town. And th there were people standing. There was no room by the door. I mean, if you had gotten to church late that day, you wouldn't have gotten a seat. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere, by the way, where uh, you didn't get in. I mean, it's kind of disappointing, right? So I remember me and my wife years ago, we were trying to see this Christian concert, this Christian artist who was in Fayetteville. He didn't come to Raleigh on this particular tour. We really wanted to see him. I wanted Kim to see him. We drove to Fayetteville to see him. It was a free concert, by the way, so that was even better. It was at the Fayetteville Coliseum or the Civic Center down there, and I remember us trying to get there, and we get there, and like the line is all the way in the parking lot from the, from the Civic Center itself. And we get up there, and they basically say, oh, it's sold out. It's sold out. And I was so disappointed because I wanted to see this, this, this artist, and I wanted Kim to see this artist as well. But have you ever been somewhere where you get there and there's no more room? It's sold out. It's sold out here, y'all. It's sold out. Now keep that in mind because look at what happens. Then it says this. It's sold out. Get the picture. There's no room, not even at the door. And notice what Jesus does. He was preaching the word to them. I love this about Jesus. He's preaching the word to them. What, 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 what would that look like? Well, I believe Jesus was preaching the Old Testament. I believe he was preaching the Old Testament to uh, this group of people that it gathered. Then I also believe he was continuing the message that he began in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And he's preaching the word. And isn't it amazing, you all, that Jesus is not talking about the politics of the day yet, but he preaches the word. See, the politics of the day does not meet our greatest need. The politics of the day really don't solve our greatest problem. Jesus preaches the word. Notice Jesus doesn't 
preach sociology. Sociology is good, all good and fine, has its place, but, but that can't meet our greatest need. Jesus preaches the word. Notice Jesus doesn't even preach religion, but Jesus preaches the word because it's through the word of God that our greatest need is addressed. It's through the word of God we find out about God, who God is, about his character, about what he requires. It's through the word of God that we also learn something about ourselves, that we are sinful, that we're broken, that we're following, that we are bankrupt spiritually and we have nothing to offer this holy God who is great and who's awesome. And it's through the word of God that we learn that, that, that not only are we broken and fallen and we can't get to God, it's through the word Word of God, we understand that there's a Savior. His name is Jesus, and He has power on earth to forgive us of our sin and bring us into relationship with the Father. And Jesus is preaching the Word to them. And then we're introduced to the paralyzed man. Look at our first point. We see this paralyzed man. Notice Mark doesn't tell us a whole lot about it. But Mark clearly lets us know he's paralyzed. Notice verse 3, and they came bringing to him a paralytic. We know he's paralyzed, he's a paralytic. Notice as you keep reading down just by way of observation here, when you go down to verse 5, it says they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. In verse 5, it says, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Notice in verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic. Notice in verse 10, the man has, uh, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic. We don't know really much about this man except the fact that Mark makes it clear that he's paralyzed. We don't know how old he is. We don't know how long he's been paralyzed. We don't know whether or not he's uh, married and has children. Uh, we, we don't know really anything about this man other than the fact that he's paralyzed and that he can't walk because four guys are bringing him to Jesus. And as I think about this man and I think about the fact that we know he's paralyzed and he can't walk, three things come to my mind. Here's the first thing. It's a sad condition. This man's paralysis really is a sad condition. He's not able to walk. I don't know if your heart goes out to people in a healthy way. Uh, when you see someone who maybe is disabled or who has some sort of paralysis. Because um, when you think about all the stuff we can do as a result of being able to walk. I mean, just walking is, 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 is a blessing in and of itself. This man couldn't walk. And, and, and as I think about that, what, what, what a sad condition that really is. If he couldn't walk, he, that means he couldn't run either. I'm 54 years old and I still love to exercise and play basketball and I love to walk and run. I love to ride motorcycles, all these things that, that, that I love to do. But if I was paralyzed, man, I wouldn't be able to do those things. And think about how sad his condition. Think about this. Wherever he would go, he would need somebody to carry him there, to be totally dependent on others because he has no mobility. What a, what, what a sad, sad condition. Think about if he had children, if he was married with children, he couldn't get out in the yard and throw the football with his son or carry his daughters to the park. I mean, what, what a, his paralysis really would limit him in that way. What a sad condition. I think his condition is a sad condition. Here's the second thing I think about uh, when I think about his paralysis. Not only was it a sad condition, it was a serious condition. Again, it's, it's serious, so serious that other people have to care for him and bring him to where he needs to go. We know that some paralysis, if they're not healed or, or they can get worse and it could end maybe even in death. And so it's a serious condition. But here's the third thing I think is true of this condition. It's a solvable condition. It's curable. Here's why. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is home. Jesus is in the narrative. And guess what? Jesus is the game changer, you all. Jesus is the one who makes the difference. Jesus is the one that is the problem solver. Jesus is the one that can change the situation even when the situation can't be changed by any other. Jesus is the game changer. Now this man, this paralyzed man, his, his physical condition 
really is a picture, I believe, of one's spiritual condition apart from Jesus Christ. See, apart from Jesus Christ, the Bible is clear that, that we're all sinners and uh, we deserve the judgment of God. And that's a sad, sad, sad condition for a person not to know Jesus Christ. And it will be a sad condition for that person to live their entire lives and, and enter into eternity not knowing Jesus Christ. What a sad condition. It's a serious condition. It's so serious that if a person uh, leaves this earth, if a person dies and they don't know Christ as their Savior, it's so serious that the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin have always been death from Genesis, the book of Genesis, until the end of time. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. That's how serious it is. But here's the good news of our God. It's a solvable condition. Why? Jesus is in the house. Jesus is the one who has the power to forgive sins. We see the paralyzed man. But notice our second group. We see the persistent men. I say persistent because they do all they can to get their friend to Jesus. Notice the text again. Verse 3, and they came. The they are the four friends who are bringing their friend to Jesus. They came bringing him a paralytic. They came to Christ. They came bringing Christ uh, uh, this paralytic, verse 3. And it's interesting because verse 4 says, and they could not get near the crowd. They, they couldn't get near him, excuse me, because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. And when they made it open, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Here's a few things about these men. Here's the first of all, I think we can assume. These men had great compassion for their friend. Notice their compassion. I mean, they, they, they must have had great compassion for their friend. So throw yourself in the story uh, 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 real quick. Imagine we're there. We're going to step right in here. Boom, we're there. So imagine Jesus has begun his public ministry. He's pre preaching the message of the gospel. He's proclaiming the miracles of the gospel. People, I mean, his popularity is, uh, is way up here. People hear about him, know about him. The people are coming to hear him and see him. People are flocking to him. He heals this guy who has leprosy. He says, shh, don't tell anybody. Just go offer yourself to the priest, just like Moses command. The guy goes out and tells everybody. He does just the opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus has to step away from town. He's out here in desolate places doing ministry. People are still coming to him though, but then he slides back into town. People hear and they say, yo, Jesus is here. Jesus is in the house. Hey, everybody, Jesus, whose house? Peter's house, man. Come on, let's go see Jesus. And they all flock to the house. Uh, they get there. If you had gotten there late, you wouldn't have gotten in in the church that day. There's no room. And then you got these four guys. They're in that fray too. And maybe they're like, yeah, let's go, man. Jesus is here. But then they stop, maybe. I don't know. This is just my imagination. They say, well, what about our friend? Man, he really, he really needs to see Jesus. All those miracles Jesus has been doing, perhaps Jesus would do a miracle for him. And instead of rushing on to get there like everybody else, maybe these guys, in their love and their compassion for their friend, they want to get him to Jesus. I just believe that they had compassion for their friend. Do we have compassion for hurting people? Do we have compassion for broken people? Or are we just so busy just trying to get there ourselves and do our thing that, that we just totally overlook the guy who, or the girl in our life that God has placed in our life that has a spiritual paralysis that really needs to see Jesus? And these guys, the fact that they're bringing him Leads me to believe they had much compassion for their friend. We see their compassion. Notice the second thing we see about them. Not only their compassion, but notice their cooperation. They're doing this thing together. Now, I don't know. Again, I just like to think this way. Each one of them has a corner of the mat. And I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it went something like this. Okay, let's grab. You grab that corner. I got this corner. You got that. Okay, you got that corner. All right, great. All right, on three, we're going to lift it. And then maybe they're about to start counting. And somebody says, oh, wait a minute. On three, is it like one, two, three, and then lift? Or do we lift? Man, just on three, would you just lift? <laughs> all right, all right. Y'all ready? One, two, three. And then they lift. Let's go. Let's get them. And you get this picture of them 
together bringing their friend to Jesus. And it doesn't matter the difficulty. I don't know how much he weighed or anything like that. Again, Mark just tells us he's paralyzed, but dead weight can be like heavy. And, and just, you could even, I think rightfully assume just the struggle, even with four guys, each on the corner of a mat, getting their friend to Jesus. But these guys are persistent. They're getting their friend to Jesus. What would it look like if you and I cooperated in getting people to Jesus? I remember a time uh, a few years back, my wife and my mother and I go to the beach every year. It's kind of become a, a, a kind of ritual for us. Our girls are at East Carolina, uh, juniors, uh, and my oldest is about to be, be a senior after this semester. They don't go with us like they used to. They're kind of doing their own thing now and in college and enjoying that this time of their life. But me and my mom and Kim still go. There's a little church I preach at, uh, at Top Sail Beach, North Carolina. And uh, we get to go, stay, stay for free in this beach house, you know, it's a great deal. It really is. And, and I get to preach and, uh, and uh, it's just a, been a blessing to our family. This one particular year, me and my mom and Kim are there and, uh, and me and my mom are on the beach. And I love to read, y'all. I am an avid reader. I'm an advanced student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary as well. So I'm always reading and writing and that kind of stuff. And so this one particular time, Kim was in the cottage. Uh, me and my mom decided to go to the beach. And, uh, and I had my books, I'm reading, getting ready for the seminar that I have to take, and, uh, and I'm doing all this reading, and, uh, and there's this guy that just shows up, and uh, he's just kind of like looking around like this, and he's just kind of a loner, and, and we just kind of see him, and we're just like, okay, that guy's just kind of walking, and he's just kind of started hanging around us, and he just began to talk to us, and we're sitting in these, these beach chairs, and I'm reading, and we engaged a little bit, but then I put my attention back to the book I'm reading, and, uh, and it's like the Holy Spirit just slapped me upside the head. He said, put down the book. This is a gospel engagement right here. This is a gospel encounter. You need to engage this guy with the gospel. And I remember putting down my book, and I began to talk to him. He began to talk to me. He began to ask questions and, and those kind of things just about who we are, what we were doing, and this kind of thing. And it ended up this guy began to pour out his life to us. And he, he just got brutally vulnerable and transparent. And I mean, he, he started telling us things like his childhood struggles. He talked about um, his struggle with his own sexuality and the guilt and the shame that he felt as a result of that. And this is a guy we just met on the beach, y'all. I'm not, I'm not making this up. And my mom, because of the intensity of the conversation, and because we got there like quick, I mean, it was like within five minutes, this dude's sharing his life and his struggles and his sins. And my mom gets up and she just walks off and she's praying. She's just praying. And she walk, begins to walk down the beach and I know she's praying. You see, that was her corner of the mat. My corner of the mat is I'm in this conversation now with this guy about Jesus Christ. And mom's praying, and we're still talking, and we're still talking. And mom walks all the way up to the beach, all the way up to this pier, rather. That's at that end and end. She comes back, and we're still talking, and she just keeps walking, and she just keeps praying. Because that's her corner of the mat in this, in this situation. And I'm engaging him. And, and to make a long story short, I told him this. I said, look, I know you got a lot of pain in your life, and, but here's what I do know. There's one who can heal you of your pain and forgive you for all of your sins. He can remove your guilt and he can remove your shame and his name is Jesus Christ. And you can come to him through faith and repent. And I'm just sharing the gospel with And this young man accepted Christ on the beach. He accepted Christ on the beach. And then I start telling about the church. I'm, hey, I'm preaching at this church, you know, on Sunday, you ought to come. And look, I would love for you to, to get connected with uh, the folks here at the church. And they love Jesus. They love the Bible. They would love you. Why don't you come? And then the church came. They picked up their corner of the mat. And the whole goal is we want to get people to Jesus. And each of us have a corner of the mat that we ought to be grabbing. What would it look like if, if we did that? What would it look like if churches had more unity centered around the gospel? And each one of us, all the churches came together and picked up a corner of the map because our goal is just to get people to Jesus. I love their cooperation. 
They're working together with one goal in mind. Our friend is hurting. Our friend has a sad and serious problem. But our friend has a problem that's solvable. Why? Jesus is in the house. He's the game changer. He is the one that can make a difference. And we're going to do all we can. We're going to be persistent to get him to Jesus. I love their cooperation. But notice, thirdly, their confidence. Notice what happens. Verse 4. They get there, they couldn't get near because of the crowd, they don't give up. Me and Kim in Fayetteville, we just turned around and drove an hour and 15 minutes back to Raleigh. These guys don't do that. They're persistent. What do they do? They get on the roof. They get on the roof and then they begin to tear through the roof. The Greek here, y'all, is interesting. It says in the Greek text that they unroofed the roof. They unroofed the roof. They really tore through this roof, y'all. And can you imagine Jesus preaching? And he's preaching the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. And then right as he's saying that, it's like debris begins to fall. <laughs> it begins to open up. And then the text says they lower him, they lower him to Jesus. And then this is what Jesus does. He looks up and the text says he sees their faith. He sees their faith. I believe that it's the faith of the four. But certainly it could be, the paralytic could have had faith too. But it says he saw their faith and then he speaks to the paralytic. These four Believe, Man, if we can just get him to Jesus, Jesus really will make the difference. Do you believe that, by the way? Maybe that person that God has placed in your life that is spiritually paralyzed, so to speak. They don't know Christ. Maybe they're strung out on drugs. Maybe they're strung out on alcohol. Maybe they have an addiction to pornography. Maybe their marriage is falling apart. Maybe you look at them and go, man, they got so much going on, I'm not even sure. Do you believe Jesus can change a life? Do you believe Jesus can change the lives of hurting people? That he desires to do that and he will do that if we can get people to him. These guys did. Jesus looks up and sees their faith. Saw that they believed. Saw that they had confidence in him as the one that could make a difference in their life. Notice the Messiah, his power. Notice here, look at what Jesus says. Jesus says in verse 5, after he sees their faith, he said to the paralytic, your son, 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 your son, son, your sins, excuse me, are forgiven. The Greek language, let me, let me go here just one more time. The Greek language here, son, it's technon in the Greek, and it, it is, it's like beloved child, little child. It's a term of like endearment. It's a term of great love and affection. So it really points to our Savior's love for hurting people. That he would say, son, technon, little one, precious one, beloved one. And I believe with all my heart, Jesus loves hurting people. He loves us all, doesn't he? And he looks at us. And he says, son or daughter, my beloved one. And with much tenderness and affection, he says that to us. And he says, look, your sins are forgiven. Now, time out, time out, put it in reverse, back up, wait a minute. Hold up, wait a minute. Jesus, don't you realize that he came to be healed. I mean, he's paralyzed, right? They brought him to you. They got up on this roof and tore up this roof. They lowered this man to you. They have faith that you can heal him. And you say, son, your sins are forgiven? Wait a minute, Jesus, back up. I mean, he came for healing. Why did you forgive him of his sins? Well, this is what I believe. 
Jesus gave him what he needed most first. Jesus gave him what was most important first. His greatest need was not his physical need, but his greatest need was his spiritual need. You see, Tony Evans says it like this. I don't know if you ever listened to Dr. Tony Evans. I love Dr. Tony Evans. He's got a way of saying stuff. And he says this, he says, if a man is hungry, that's bad. We need to fix that, but he can recover from that. He says, if a man doesn't have a place to live, that's bad. We ought to fix that, but he can recover from that. If a man doesn't have a job, that's bad. We need to fix that. Uh, he can recover from that. But then he says, if a man dies, without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and his sins have not been forgiven, he has been hit with a blow he can never recover from. You see, our greatest need is not necessarily physical, but our greatest need is spiritual. Our greatest need is that our sins would be forgiven. And Jesus gave him what he needed most first. Gave him what he needed most first. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now watch what happens. There's some religious folks in the text, the scribes. And they're like, wait a minute. What did he just say? He just, he just blasphemed. He just forgave him of his sins. Wait a minute. Only God can forgive sins. Now they were right, that's good theology. <laughs> Only God can forgive sins. No man can forgive sins. A pastor can't forgive sins. The pope can't forgive sins. The president can't forgive sins. No man on earth can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. They were right in that regard. That's good theology. But here's where they were wrong. They failed to realize Jesus is God. They failed to realize that the man who was speaking was no ordinary man, but he was the son of God. And the son of God is God, and he has the power on earth to forgive sins. He is the one that's authorized to forgive sins. And so look at what happens. We see his power, the Messiah's power here. First of all, we see his power to perceive our thoughts. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Look at uh, verse 8. Jesus immediately perceived in his spirit that they thus questioned within him, themselves and said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Jesus knew what they were thinking. He has the power to perceive the thoughts of our hearts and minds. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that all things are naked and bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God knows our thoughts. He knows what's in our hearts. I, I was reading in the Psalms this week, Psalm 19 is a great Psalm. I love verse 14, the very last uh, uh, verse in that Psalm. And it basically says this, the Psalmist says, Lord, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. He prayed that because he understood that even the thoughts of his heart we're in the sight of the Lord. He knows what we're thinking. Even right now, God knows what we're thinking. He knows what's on our hearts. He knows what's in our minds. Nothing escapes the all-knowing God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He perceives their thoughts. But notice, he has the power to perceive our thoughts, but he has the power to pardon our sins. Notice what he says, which is easier. Which is easier, verse 9, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to take up your bed and walk? Which is easier? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because if you say that, we, we can't see that, and that's just easier to say, right? But if you say, hey, take, rise, take up your bed and walk, I'm going to start looking to see if you actually do that. I'm going to start looking to see if you actually take up your bed and walk. So Jesus is like, it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. It's harder to say, take up your bed and walk. And here's the main point in the story. Jesus said, so that you'll know 
that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He's the Son of Man. Now let me unpack this term real quick in the last few minutes we have. This term Son of Man is a term that speaks of Christ's humanity as well as His divinity. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, maybe go back and read that sometimes, but, but the Son of Man there is the one who will come, who will establish His eternal kingdom that will reign forever. Daniel lets us know in his prophecy that the Son of Man is God, that He's God. And Jesus loves this term, Son of Man. And throughout the Gospels, I think it occurs maybe 81 times throughout the Gospel, each time Jesus uses it of Himself that he's the son of man. It's his favorite term to describe himself. And whenever he's talking about himself being the son of man, he's always talking about his suffering. So he's the suffering servant. The son of man didn't come to be served, Mark 10, but he came to serve. And so when he talks about being the son of man, he's talking about his serving us. And then he talks about uh, the same uh, term in the context of suffering. So when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16, he says, blessed are you, Peter, Simon, uh, 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 flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he begins to tell him that the Son of Man must suffer. And so when Jesus uses this term, he's speaking of the fact that he's this servant and that he's this suffering servant. But then Jesus uses this in the gospel to speak to, just like Daniel 7 does, his glorious kingdom. And so it speaks of him being the sovereign God. He's the suffering servant, but he's the sovereign God. And Jesus is saying that here. Jesus is saying, I am God. Jesus is saying this, yeah, you guys are right, only God can, can forgive sins, but here's where you're wrong, I'm the Son of Man, I am God. And watch this, just so you'll know that I have authority as God to forgive sins, I'm going to say to this man, rise, take up your bed and walk, and he did, and he did, proving that Jesus is the Son of God. And he has the power to perceive. He has the power to pardon our sins. He is the Son of God. And He proved this power to pardon sin by calling this man to take up his bed and walk. So this morning as we close, you might identify with one of these groups, particularly the first two. Maybe you're here and you never ever responded to the gospel. Maybe you've never ever came to Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never ever repented of your sin and believed in Christ. Today I pray that, that, that you would. And there are folks here that could talk to you about what that means. If you're watching online today that you can contact Southbridge, the pastoral staff, they, they would love to talk to you more about what it means to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. He can forgive you of all your sins as you come to him by way of repentance that means you turn from sin and in faith you believe in Christ you don't believe in yourself you don't try to work you don't try to say well I'll quit doing this or I'll drop this habit I'll stop doing this and stop doing that but you put your total faith and trust in Jesus Christ who lived the perfect life the life that you and I couldn't live he died the death that we should have died and three days later he rose from the dead and you put your faith and trust in him and, and listen the good news of the gospel he forgives us of our sins the sins we committed yesterday the sins we'll commit today the sins we'll commit tomorrow we're gonna try not to sin today and tomorrow but we, we will fall short and his death on the cross covers our sins and so maybe that's you maybe you're hearing you're a believer but but maybe you got some stuff in your life and you just kind of go, man, I just, I wonder, can God even forgive me? Man, I keep, I keep being at this spot. I keep being in this place. I, I, I just feel this weight of guilt and shame. And, and I just don't know that after all these times of falling and, 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 and just the stuff I've been going to, can, yeah, he can forgive you of your sins. The cross is sufficient. And Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus can forgive you of all your sins. And he can give you power and strength to walk in a new way. He can call you just like he called this man and said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he can, he can command you and I to do the same. Rise, get off, off that bed of sin and shame and walk in the way 
that I've ordained you to walk. I will give you strength and power to do that. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here and maybe God has laid on your heart broken people, paralyzed people. And maybe today God would challenge you to do all you can to cooperate with others to get people to Jesus. And maybe God would challenge you and me today that, that whatever it takes, man, get people to Jesus if you can. I don't care about getting on people's roofs and blowing off the debris on their roof. I'm not a very good painter. I got plenty of relationships and friendships, but I feel like God put on my heart a 77-year-old woman from Istanbul, Turkey. And I'll get on her roof and blow. And I'll paint and caulk and seal things if it can give me an opportunity to tell her about Jesus. Because I want broken people and hurting people to get to Jesus. And then Jesus is the game changer. He will make the difference. Listen, the four, they just got their friend to Jesus and Jesus did the rest, right? We don't have to change people. We can't change people. We can't even change ourselves. But if we can get ourselves and people to Jesus, he'll do that work. Will you bow with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the text of Scripture, Mark 2. We thank you that Jesus, your son, is God. And Father, we thank you that he can forgive sins and he does forgive sins. Father, thank you that our sins have been forgiven in Christ for those of us that are in Christ. I pray for anyone who might be watching or here if they don't know you as their Savior. Would you, by your Spirit, draw them to yourself? And Father, help them to respond to the gospel through repentance and faith. And then, Lord, would you help them talk to somebody, maybe a pastor or a friend they came with or a friend they know. And then, Lord, would you just do a work in their hearts to change them, to make them more like Christ. Father, we love you. We praise you. Would you give us a burden for hurting and lost people? And then help us, Lord, by your strength and by your grace to do all we can to get people to Jesus. Then trust you like these four guys trusted you to change their friend's life. Help us to realize our greatest need is forgiveness of sin. And so, God, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name.